1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Well, that was fun last night. That was my uh, favorite uh, Republican debate uh, this season.
2: Well, because there's only four people. So it made
0: it a little more tolerable. There was I only think. four people at Last Debate.
3: Yeah.
2: Oh, there were? Well, why did Last Debate seem so different? I don't know. I, I, think, I can't uh, keep them straight, Dan. It was number four last night. But I love... Uh, Megan Kelly did a great job. Elizabeth Vargas. I, I thought they were good.
0: Yeah, moderators were, were good. It was uh, it was spirited, and we got right to, uh, right to the heart of the uh, distaste that some have for others, which was fun. I've always been sort of lukewarm on Megan Kelly. Let's start with her. But... Um, uh, she did a nice job yesterday humiliating Chris Christie, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that because it was so well-deserved. Uh, Kelly going right to the Achilles heels of Chris Christie, transing of kids, but also the whole rationale for his candidacy. I, I had really forgotten it because I just haven't given, given his candidacy much consideration. But uh, Megan Kelly essentially ended it if there was any real life left in it with this question
4: and said that you got into this race just to stop president trump his approval rating with republicans is currently at 81 percent yours is at 25 your best state is new hampshire and even there two-thirds of gop voters say they would be angry and disappointed if you won respectfully governor you have not stopped mr trump And voters may wonder how you could possibly become the nominee of a party that does not appear to like you very much.
5: Well,
6: look, Megan, um, it's often very difficult to be the only person on the stage who's telling the truth and the only person who is taking on what needs to be taken on. I I look at my watch now. We're 17 minutes into this debate. And except for your little speech in the beginning, we've had these three acting as if the race is between the four of us. The fifth guy. Who doesn't have the guts to show up and stand here. He's the one who, as you just put it, is way ahead in the polls.
0: It was uh, so perfect because it prompted Christie to give an answer that explains why he is so unpopular in the Republican Party. I, so not only, not only did she put it right between his eyes, then he uh, aided the effort by uh, explaining how disagreeable and uh, moralistic he is with his with a rationale for his candidacy. My candidacy is a is a torpedo shot at uh, President Trump. Well, as Megyn Kelly said, "Hey, Chris, you missed."
2: Yeah, three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. I was very proud of my former intern last. Yes, week.
0: that's right. Yes, yes. you. Uh, you're her mentor. You, yeah, uh, right. You taught her well, <laughs> I, young grasshopper. I created hopper. that. Uh-huh. I did that. Um, well, uh, Megan Kelly wasn't the only one who wanted to take a whack at Chris Christie. He is pinata-sized. Uh, he and Vivek R- Ramaswamy got into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vivek mm-hmm. Ramaswamy got into it with everybody as is his want, and we'll get to that. But this was fun. This uh, Chris Christie to uh, Vivek after um oh, chris christie checked his watch which he did like four times we're 17 minutes in we're now 25 minutes in we're 37 did, minutes in have yeah. a
2: dinner to go to or something i seriously i thought and
0: it's plans. just it's, it's all the plaintiff wailing of chris christie we're 17 minutes in we still haven't got a straight answer we're 17 minutes in and we're not talking just uh he's he is he's is so he, well this is the funny part about it Um, The Chris Christie's accusation in the direction of Vivek Ramaswamy, and this was in part prompted by Vivek's (laughs) unrelenting whacking away at Nikki Haley, which we'll get to. But just let's just focus on Vivek and Chris Christie here. Okay? You tell say this. You, you to do no this, you do this, this at every in. debate. You go out on the stump and you say
6: something, all of us see it on video, we confront you out on the debate stage, you say you didn't say it, and then you back away. And I want to I'll say, say one. Exactly no, what? i exactly I said, Chris. I, I'm not I'm done yet. Well, this is- now look Hold this on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me tell
7: you something. This
6: is the fourth debate. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So shut up for a little while. I'm going to,
8: no, to respond to after, gonna gonna rainbow, respond that. i are going to respond to that. I'll
9: take that. I
6: want to say something else. We're now 25 minutes into this debate. We go. And he has insulted Nikki Haley's basic intelligence, not her positions. Her basic intelligence, she doesn't know regions, she wouldn't be able to find something on a map that his three-year-old could find. Look, if you want to disagree on issues, that's fine. And Nikki and I disagree on some issues. But I'll tell you this, I've known her for 12 years, which is longer than he's even started to vote in a Republican primary. (laughs) And while we disagree about some issues and we disagree about who should be president of the United States, what we don't disagree on is this is a smart, accomplished woman. You should stop insulting. So I'm going to take this I'm take several
0: times over He's uh, uh,
3: Chris
0: my, my hero. I think we just yeah. Yeah. From uh, Chris Christie. We're Turn
2: around, bride.
0: Uh, yeah, Chris Christie. Every
2: now and then I fall apart.
0: He's my hero. He, uh... uh He rallied to defend poor, defenseless Nikki Haley.
2: She did look a little, I mean, she looked a little downtrodden yesterday, but that was actually my favorite part of the debate.
0: Well, he stuck up for his woman. Oh, yeah. Right. She's mine. And And by the way, by the way, the underlying assertion that he made that he's attacking her intelligence and stuff. um, No, actually, Ramaswamy, even if you find him to be an obnoxious bullhard, um, he saying some things that are true or certainly legitimate and based on a substantive assessment of Nikki Haley's views and Chris Christie's views by the way because he often coupled the two of them much like Chris Christie did. So you knew Ramaswamy was going to respond after most obnoxious bullhard in America, and he did.
8: Hold on, but- We learned three things right there. First of all, Chris Christie also doesn't know what provinces in eastern Ukraine he actually wants us to fight for. Chris, your version of foreign policy experience was closing a bridge from New Jersey to New York. Yeah. So do everybody a favor. Just walk yeah. yourself off that stage. Enjoy a nice meal yeah. and get the hell out of Oh place. No, you so did not. fat my man. Me, I think if you're going to actually send your sons and daughters well, to go die in somebody weren't else's voting, war, on, while you you better, you weren't Excuse voting, me, Chris. I'm speaking, and I'm not done yet. I you haven't had heard your the chance, time when you want to And we're going to be done. So listen up to this. Is if these people want to send your sons and daughters to go die in Ukraine, they've been arguing for it for a year. Two hundred billion dollars of our taxpayer money sent over. Neither of them could even name for you the provinces that they actually want to protect. And this is the people who have been touting their so-called foreign policy experience. It is intellectual fraud. These people are lying to you. The same people who told you about weapons and mass destruction.
0: Yeah, I mean, that gets to the heart of really what was central to the discussion about geopolitics in last night's debate which is the sort of the neocons versus the America firsters. That's that's really sort of what it came down to. And and uh, there was some really good back and forth on the merits in addition to the WWE aspect of the back and forth. But I love that um, the
2: moderators let them breathe like they Just let I agree. it happen. You know, and I'm like, they're, OK, this isn't for it wasn't about them. It was just about the candidates.
0: No, I agree. I think that's probably why it was the best debate is because those moderators did the best job of uh, any of the moderators to date. By the way, just as an aside, Mm -hmm. I mean, the only thing the obnoxious blowhard line, the only thing Chris Christie knows more about than being an obnoxious blowhard is fried food. I mean, for Chris Christie (laughs) to call someone an obnoxious blowhard, listening to every response from Chris Christie and, and watching him over the last decade. I mean, obnoxious blowhard, it was fun in the beginning of Chris Christie's political career when he was doing battle with the teachers union, but it quickly dissipated into him becoming a caricature of himself
1: listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile.
0: Hey
10: business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank.
1: If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, the answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We were talking about uh, last night's fourth and final debate before the January 15th Iowa caucus. So you've had a chance to see uh, all the candidates on the trail and on the debate stage. There are four, functionally, there are four left uh, challenging President Trump. I mean, that's sort of how it sets up. And so um, now that you've had these many months to review the choices... What's yours? If you were an Iowa caucus voter oh, okay. or a New Hampshire primary voter, who would you vote for? Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A Turnkey Pro Text Line.
2: Uh, what do you think? Who is the? I mean, there's no clear winner. I hate when even people ask that question. But who do you think knocked it out of the park yesterday?
0: Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think. I don't think anything occurred yesterday that really... Is seismic? uh, No. No. I mean, I just don't. I think uh, uh, we found out that uh, Chris Christie is running to sell books and uh, probably make more TV appearances. Towards the end of the debate, he uh, managed to uh, nicely fold in this book on Ronald Reagan he's working on that's due to be released in the coming months or so on and so forth. So that was interesting.
2: snake oil salesman.
0: I I just don't see... uh, desantis or nikki haley being able to one separate from the other and to present any fundamental challenge to trump i mean I, I again there's the prospect of a better than expected performance from desantis in iowa and so that says well it's still a race and then if you get a better than expected performance from nikki haley even if they don't win the caucus uh-huh. in iowa the primary in new hampshire respectively if they overperform we say well it's not over now we got to go to south carolina and that's nikki haley's home turf and maybe you know so it, it can they keep it close and whittle away and one fall by the wayside at some point relatively early on certainly in advance of super tuesday i mean i just think that is really threading the needle i i i just i just don't see The energy there that, you know, the big when the big news is a couple billionaires are moving from one candidate to the other candidate. That's not that's not big news at the ground level. Right. That's big news inside the bubble. So I I, I don't think the dynamic has changed very much at all from really the outset of the campaign.
2: Lots of text messages pouring in. Uh, Dan and Amy, from what I heard last night, that wasn't a presidential debate. It was an argument on a grade school playground. Eh, I, I disagree. Uh, Dan and Amy's. Ramos. Well,
0: well, 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 just on that, I mean, there were those moments. There are always those sorts of moments in, in debates. But we'll get to some of the um, more significant back and forth, particularly against the backdrop of the fight going on in Congress right now between Congress and the White House over Ukraine funding. So that wasn't happening in a vacuum when they were arguing the neocons were arguing with the America Firsters and it does represent a real division within the party. So I thought that was um timely and illustrative.
2: Another one if Trump gets nominated, would he select any of those four on stage as his VP?
0: No. Okay.
2: Maybe a I cabinet position? That. That's another question that was texted in.
0: Well, I I I potentially roles in the administration. Yeah. Um I disant well Maybe Ramaswamy would be the only one who right. might have Christi- some role in the administration. Yeah,
2: Chris Christie, no, DeSantis, no. Unless they, you know, kiss and make up.
0: I doubt it. And, but e- definitely even, Hale- back- even Haley, even Haley, even Haley. You know, there actually, DeSantis had. Um,
2: what did you think about him? He kind of got lost in the shuffle again. He always does that. He doesn't mean to.
0: Well, he he had a he did have a moment. I, okay. I thought. Um, well, if we, I guess maybe we take a detour um, from the geopolitics for a second because this was good, too. And this goes back to Megyn Kelly putting it to Chris Christie. And then the moment um, in response to the transing kids argument. Oh,
2: that, that was great.
0: Yeah, and the moment that Ron DeSantis had in response to the answer that Chris Christie gave on Follow. So, first, uh, Megyn Kelly. When it's convenient,
4: Governor Christie. <laughs> You do not favor a ban on trans medical treatments for minors, saying it's a parental rights issue. The surgeries done on minors involve cutting off body parts at a time when these kids cannot even legally smoke a cigarette. Kids who go from puberty blockers to cross sex hormones are at a much greater likelihood of winding up sterile. How is it that you think a parent should be able to okay these surgeries, never mind the sterilization of a child? And aren't you way too out of step on this issue to be the Republican nominee.
6: No, I'm not. Because because Republicans believe in less government, not more. In less involvement with government, not more in government involvement in people's lives. And you know what, Megan? I trust parents. And we're out there saying that we should empower parents in education. We should empower parents to make more decisions about where their kids go to school. I agree. We should empower parents to be teaching the values that they believe in in their homes without the government telling them what those values should be. And yet, we want to take other parental rights away. I'm sorry. As a father of four, I believe there is no one who loves my children more than me. There's no one who loves my children more than my wife. There's no one who cares more about their success and health in life than we do. Not some government bureaucrat, not some. You look at these jokers down in Congress. It takes them and three
0: weeks. And blah, blah, tangent. blah off topic. But, but you, Absolutely you, disagree with him. So there's his answer. And th- yeah. this is a divide. There was a divide on stage two between Chris Christie and Nikki Haley and DeSantis and, and, and uh, Ramaswamy. Uh, Nikki Haley... Uh, earlier in the week, uh, an interview with, um, I can't remember who it was, but doesn't matter. Here's what she said about transing minor children. Uh,
11: Madam Ambassador, another question is what care should be on the table when a 12-year-old child in this country, assigned female at birth, says, actually, I feel more comfortable living as a boy. What should the law allow the response to be?
12: Well, I think the law should stay out of it, and I think parents should handle it. What?
0: Yeah, that's her it's position. It's
2: barbaric. I mean, they're, they're children. They should decide when they're 18 years old at the very least.
0: So the the oh. they they're making the parental authority issue. Christie and Haley. So on follow, Megan Kelly puts this uh these guidelines that were promulgated while Christie was governor and then enacted after he left that essentially cut the parents out like California doing, they're doing the same thing in New Jersey, cut the parents out of the decision. hide what's happening in school from the parents. Now Christie says that's not true. I didn't approve those guidelines, whatever that's sort of secondary. Uh, going back to the exchange, going back to the substance of the issue, Christie versus DeSantis, DeSantis gets to the heart of it.
6: I stood up every single time for parents to be able to make the decisions for their minor children. But parents, Every single time, parents should make those decisions. And by the way, you know what? Every once in a while, parents are going to make decisions that we disagree with. But the minute you start to take those rights away from parents, you don't know that slippery slope, what rights are going to be taken away okay. next, and you what's going to be forced you. As, as a Go parent,
9: ahead. you do not have the right to abuse your kids. Yeah. This is cutting off their dad. This is mutilating these minors. These are irreversible procedures. uh, And this is something that other countries in Europe, like Sweden, once they started doing it, they saw it did incalculable damage. They've shut it down.
0: Yeah. See, that's the fundamental point that Christie and Haley are trying to dance around. Um, Yes, we believe in parental authority, but it's not absolute. Whoever said it was absolute? Governor Christie. Whoever said that? What a silly argument. Slippery slope is Munchausen by proxy. Is that um, li- a parent living their values and within their authority to abuse their kids? Of course not. No. So the fundamental question is, is it child abuse is mutilating your kid or authorizing the mutilation, the mutilation of your kid is a child abuse. And if it is, then you don't have the authority to do it, but they're trying both Christie and Haley are trying to dance around it by hiding behind the yeah. sort of parental authority. The government catchphrase. should
2: stay out of my raising my children thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not. No, I abuse. think it's a crime
2: because it's abuse. I think it's child
0: abuse, so I think that's a crime. Yes. Well, and that's the divide. Mm-hmm. Rich in Indian yeah. Park.
13: Yes. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. The one thing I didn't hear in these debates,
0: in any of them, I, I, I believe, is
13: that what they're going to do to protect the people in this country. And what they're going to do to make uh, life easier for uh, people uh, is everyday life. I-, I don't hear anything about that. All I hear is arguing back and forth how this one is this and this one is that and Trump is this. I don't get it. Why aren't
5: they talking about things like inflation and uh, closing the border?
0: Thanks well, for having a good day. Thanks, Richard. Well, I mean, the, yeah. there's, well, there's been a lot of talk about that. Yeah, there was. You know, I, I love when people say hey, – yeah, well, where's your ideas? Well, I mean, first of all, you you uh, you're confused about what uh, Ron DeSantis' governing agenda is.
2: I'm not. I did
0: get a little tired
2: of DeSantis talking about COVID, and I thought I, that would never happen to me. Can I just? play this real quick
9: of somebody younger i think when you get up to 80 i don't think it's a job for that but let me just respond to some of the things there look uh, the media is making a big deal about what he said about some of his comments i would just remind people uh, that is not how he governed he didn't even fire dr fauci
0: well yeah but that was in response to the whole Trump said I'll only be a dictator on the first day in the Hannity town hall in Davenport the other day, and people trying to make a big deal about it. And then Chris Christie, of course, did make a big deal about it. And DeSantis's point, which is the point that I've been making on this show since Trump was president, is it turns out he was a very conventional president, not rhetorically, but uh, performatively. And in some cases, too conventional. He didn't fire Fauci soon enough no. or sideline him. He didn't fire Jim Comey. I mean, uh, DeSantis said Ray, but maybe meant Comey. But it could be Comey and then Ray, even though Ray was a Trump nominee. Uh, effectively right. He, and he didn't go
2: you. after Hillary Clinton.
0: Well, well, but but, but but the personnel decisions within his administration. Right. So yeah, the, all this a dictator and, and, and Chris Christie, he's telling you. Who he is. He's telling you what he's about. I mean, it was a laugh line at the Hannity thing. And the quote unquote being a dictator is exercising his executive power in the direction of the border and energy policy, which he is well within which any president would be well within their rights to do, as he described, as Trump described uh, during that Hannity town hall. It is complete silliness. And Trump is so good at getting a rise out of the media to suck all the oxygen out of the room for everyone else. And that's exactly what he did when he did the whole, no, I'm not going to be a dictator. No, maybe just the first day. That's all they need to lose their minds and aid his effort. I mean, he plays them like a Stradivarius, really. He
2: knows exactly what he's doing. I love it. 312-642-5600,
0: Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey 5600 answer line, 64636-DA, pro tax line. But just on this, you know, let's talk about the issues. I mean, talk to – first of all, these guys talked to the blue in the face about the issues uh, uh, with spending and taxing and stuff. I mean, maybe there's not a lot of innovative policy proposals, um, but uh, DeSantis's governing record in Florida couldn't be more clear, number one, and um, and frankly – Uh, Nikki Haley, her time as South Carolina governor, a little bit more controversial. Uh, Her time as U.S. ambassador to the U.N., the position she has now. Let's talk about some of the substantive positions when it comes to the geopolitics. I mean, yesterday, you know, this was what you were getting from the White House. First, uh, Joe Biden bitching about uh, extreme Republicans, quote unquote, holding up more money for Ukraine. Extreme
5: Republicans are playing chicken with our national security holding ukraine's funding hostages their extreme partisan border policies
0: yeah extreme border policies. extreme border policies meaning have a policy that uh stops the flow of illegal immigration and then he trotted out nsc spokesman john kirby to do his duty as a uh, admin apparatchik giving us the old if uh we don't provide this funding and ukraine falls then uh on to the rest of eastern europe goes
14: putin and so we can't support ukraine Their chief advisor yesterday said they're likely to lose this war if they lose U.S. support. And Putin gets all of Ukraine, then what? Then where does he go? Because right then, he's up against the eastern flank of NATO. And if you think the cost of supporting Ukraine is high now, just imagine how much higher it's going to be, not just in national treasure, but in American blood, if he starts going after one of our NATO allies. Because as the president also said, we take our Article 5 commitments very seriously.
2: The best part of Biden's appearance yesterday was when they asked him about Hunter's,
0: yeah, we'll get you know, to
2: relationship that. with his we'll, business we'll, partners.
0: We'll get to Biden Inc. But 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 on, on this matter because it it sets up this discussion, uh, this back and forth that was had between the neocons and the America Firsters on that debate stage in Tuscaloosa yesterday. And I mean, here it's sort, sort of a a catch all answer uh, was given by Ramaswamy about um not just ukraine and foreign adventures but but um sort of the entirety of the spy apparatus the so-called deep state Uh, first on ukraine iraq afghanistan you know in context here
8: is if these people want to send your sons and daughters to go die in ukraine they've been arguing for it for a year 200 billion dollars of our taxpayer money sent over Neither of them could even name for you the provinces that they actually want to protect. And this is the people who have been touting their so-called foreign policy experience. It is intellectual fraud. These people are lying to you, the same people who told you about weapons and mass destruction in Iraq to justify that invasion, didn't know the first thing about it, yet they sent thousands of our sons and daughters to go die. The same people who told you the same in Afghanistan, where the Taliban is still in charge 20 years later. Seven trillion of our national debt due to these toxic neocons. You can put lipstick on a Dick Cheney. It is still a fascist neocon. Thank and you, you, Mr. See that today Thank you, Mr. Ramaswamy. Dick Ronaswamy. Cheney all over again at okay. this part.
0: Uh I wouldn't go so far as to call Dick Cheney a fascist or anybody on that stage a fascist. That's a little over the top. But um, the larger point about uh, America's recent record with its, uh, you know, warring in other uh, in in other countries. I mean, that that's that that this is a major issue, given what the Biden administration has wrought. And there's a divided opinion within the Republican ranks.
2: Got a text message. Dan and Amy, I've watched every debate. I'm a lifelong constitutional conservative. I've never heard Vivek say anything I don't agree with.
0: Well, and uh, here was essentially his, uh, you know, wrap up uh, on the neocons.
8: I think the real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11. That the Great Replacement Theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform. That the 2020 election was indeed stolen by Big Tech. That the 2016 election, the one that Trump won for sure, was also one that was stolen from him by the National Security Establishment that actually put up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they knew was false. There's a reason why I'm the only person on the stage who can say these things. That's what it's going to take, not people who were licking his boots one time and now Monday morning quarterbacking and criticizing when it's convenient. Governor Christie.
0: Well, um, that last piece of it, too. Licking his boots at one time and now Monday morning quarterbacking him. I mean, that's, that's Nikki Haley. That's, to some extent, Chris Christie, who, you know, was sucking up to him to be his AG once upon a time.
2: I remember that back in the day.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: the um, text messages. Gee. And,
0: and and again, I mean, that you know, they, they got into it a little bit uh, on, on big tech, but the censorship industrial complex piece, everything we know from the Twitter files and now – and I'm just going to continue to dr- drill on this uh, – the reporting uh, – just starting last week and into this week from Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger, two men of the left, on this Cyber Threat Intelligence League joint between uh, the spy state in this country and the spy state in the UK. The information they're getting from whistleblowers. This is all extra constitutional, which is to say unconstitutional gambits by to borrow the phrase, deep state actors. And um, that needs to be pulled up by its roots. I mean, There is no greater threat than this sort of global left push to restrict people's free speech rights, free thought rights, the free flow of information. Tony, Southside. Good morning, Amy Lamb. Good morning, Dan. Hey, I, have a, I have a question for you guys let'll throw us out there. So, Biden says
13: that Republicans are playing chicken with our national security, but not funding Ukraine. Well, isn't an open, porous border with all these millions of people pouring over from all over the world a national security?
5: This guy's an idiot. Thanks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the sort of the common sense of it, right? There's urgency behind uh, Ukraine, providing more funding for Ukraine, and there's... A, a lackadaisical attitude towards the border oh you know we've tried to do something on this we haven't been able to do something on the border in 13 years this is what steny hoyer said yesterday so you know we're, we're working on it but ukraine is where we need to focus our attention and the the country and certainly the, the, most of the republicans on that stage maybe all of them in that in this narrow instance we're saying no we need to focus on the homeland first We need to gain control of the border, and congressional Republicans are saying, at least in the House, you're not going to flim-flam us by just adding staff without changing the policy, changing the policy to remain in Mexico, changing the policy with respect to uh, asylum seekers, changing the policy with respect to these uh, catch-and-release, the catch-and-release paradigm that's operative at present.
1: Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile.
10: Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank.
0: This
1: is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: And and Amy, picking up where we left off at the end of the last hour, talking about uh, last night's Republican presidential debate, but against the backdrop of the fight on the Hill over Ukraine funding and Ukraine funding tied to some border funding, but not what congressional Republicans want, because if you just add personnel, but don't change the policy, you're not going to change what's happening at the border and what's happening at the border Yesterday was a record-setter. Oh, no. More than 12,000 migrants. (sighs) This is Bill Malugan reporting. More than 12,000 migrant encounters at the Southern border yesterday, the highest single-day total ever recorded. This includes more than 10,200 Border Patrol apprehensions of illegal immigrants, among the highest daily totals for Border Patrol ever recorded. And Malugan (laughs) uh, is on site in Lukeville, Arizona, which is the latest Flashpoint. Yeah, that's the hot spot right now.
2: And they're mostly yeah. men. Did you see the video? And then, did you see all the Chinese guys coming over?
0: There's like what 200. Mal- that's what Logan had to say.
9: Here in Lukeville, we are quite literally in the middle of nowhere. Two and a half hours to the closest major city. Thousands are crossing here illegally every day, and the situation is completely unsustainable. We'll step out, give you a look at the scene here. This is a mass of hundreds upon hundreds of people who have crossed the border illegally and are camped out here at the border wall, waiting to be apprehended by Border Patrol. You'll quickly notice these are all single adult Men. there is not a single woman or child in this group you're looking at. And these guys are coming in from all over the world. Large amounts of African men from Senegal, from Guinea, from Mauritania, from Egypt, others from the Middle East, others from Asia. This is Border Patrol's Tucson, Arizona sector, which just had 17,500 illegal crossings last week alone. That is the highest weekly total ever recorded.
2: It just makes me—we are being invaded, and nobody cares. Not well, nobody, but I should, I should say, you know, our administration, our governor, nobody cares. They just need them to become Democratic voters.
0: Well, Biden says, oh, well, I'm willing to compromise on border, but he's not because they won't compromise on the policy change. It's not about the cash. Tom Homan, former acting ICE director under Trump, uh, Mark Morgan, former CBP under Trump, they, they're, they're all telling you the same thing. It's Republican politicians, it's not a money issue. I mean, yeah, there's money to construct the wall and so forth, uh, some of the technology and the infrastructure, but it's not a personnel issue. It's a policy issue.
2: God, if I There is in- no
0: interest in stopping anyone who wants to come in this country and on their own terms and go wherever they want, and, of course, that's being facilitated by Greg Abbott's buses, but to to, to that point, there's no consequences from f- the federal government as per policy did, did you see that mule because there's a crack
2: in lukeville arizona there's a there's a like a panel or a, a bar missing in the
0: border wall fence it's he, not missing it was cut well
2: cut but i'm just well yeah but so and he's walking people through taking pictures you know because he completed his job and he looks at the report like oh well he literally shrugged his shoulders and then walked away probably to get more clients but if i lived there I used to live there, and I, I, I wonder if I'd get arrested. But I'd like to go down there and bring with me a welder and just put that bar back.
0: Well, I mean, just, I mean, can't it's—it's it's, it's, you know, it, you're the little Dutch boy with your finger in the dike. I mean, that it's—it's <laughs> it's a policy problem.
2: I know. I mean, and still, and
0: so and so there ha, there up. are proposals again, remain in Mexico for asylum seekers. Uh, what Greg Abbott is doing at the state level. You know, essentially deputizing all law enforcement to uh, detain persons in the country illegally and uh, at least queue them up for deportation. Uh, not to mention the own the own uh, uh, Texas's own state funded infrastructure that is being stood up, the buoys and the walls and so forth. Ron DeSantis yesterday during the debate. Agree or disagree, but you can't say there's not being proposals being advanced. Uh, tax repatriated funds from people who come to this country to to work pe- undocumented people that work and they send money back, tax the uh, repatri repatriated funds and use that money to construct more uh, border fencing and like and the like. But I mean that, that, that so this is the, this is where the impasse is. You you get where the uh, ruling classes sense of urgency is it's in Eastern Europe. It's in Ukraine. It's not at the Southern border. And this becomes a pretty straightforward binary for the American people. What's going to be?
2: Yeah. 312 turnkey 5600 turnkey.pro answer line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment.
0: And by the way, um, as much as we uh, have talked about Europe's Uh, civilizational suicide at the hands of their multiculturalism, something that um, has long been recognized and even latecomers to it, to the danger, to the fundamental problems that it's engendered, like the recently departed Henry Kissinger. uh, They're starting to appreciate it. Even politicians in Ireland, which has lost its mind, it has its own political ruling class that you we, we played the the debate debate. It was just sort of a uh, like a I don't know, like a, a counseling session with all these honky politicians in Ireland talking about whiteness, decrying whiteness. That's the real problem. Well, um, there's at least one Irish politician who gets it. And this is a conversation that is happening in the West everywhere. And it's the basis for some surprising election results like Gert Wilder's in the Netherlands. Listen to Irish Senator Sharon Cihon on mass migration in Ireland.
15: Firstly, Antisha's statement yesterday that it is not right to connect immigration with crime is ridiculous. Not all immigrants are created equal. And an immigration policy that does not recognize this will end in disaster and tragedy. We don't record crime statistics by ethnicity because to do so would offend liberal sensibilities but other European countries do, the Dutch do. They've done it for 10 years and here's what they've found. Individuals from non-Western immigration background make up 14% of the population in the Netherlands. However, they commit 40% of all crime and violent assaults. Populations from Africa or the Middle East tend to exhibit rates of two to four times higher than those of native Dutch. And in both Germany and Spain, the suspect rate of Algerian emigrants for crimes is ten times that of natives, and in Italy it is 17 times. And Ireland has the largest groups of Algerian asylum seekers in the world been admitted into the country. Asking us not to, us not to commit, connect crime to emigration is asking us to ignore reality. These are official statistics published by other EU governments. They are factual and true. Are they hate speech? I fear, Minister, under your bill, they might well be investigated as such. I have long said that this government would rather receive a pat on the back from buses, then a clap on the back from the Irish, and that so often we need to get serious issues in this country to attract attentions from the international media before the government will do anything about them, because the government only listens to the media and not to the people. Well now Ireland has the eyes of the world on it, and they are posed to see how this country is being turned into a post-democratic EU vassal state, which is about to pass censorship legislation, the likes of which we have never seen in the West, so that its government will be protected from the criticism of the people it is elected to government. Maybe, maybe, that will pause, give them pause for thought, but I won't hold my breath.
0: I'll give you another story. This is out of Germany. A 15-year-old goes to a party in... Um... Hamburg Park. Raped in four rounds in the bushes by nine men. Oh, God. While the nine perpetrators gang raped the girl for two and a half hours, they filmed themselves.
14: Oh,
2: please.
0: Uh, None of the perpetrators are expected to show any remorse during the 18-month trial. Verdict is announced. Nine of the rapists, of the nine rapists, only one has to go to prison, and that's for two years and nine months. The eight others receive suspended or pre-parole sentences. What? Would
2: wait they have the safety it. act over there too?
0: Well, it's, it's. Wait for it. Okay. A female ps- psychiatrist testifying on behalf of the defendants argued that their alleged gang rape was a, quote, means of releasing frustration and <gasps> anger, unquote, stemming from their, quote, migration experiences and sociocultural homelessness. So um, now uh, being a migrant it's is. stressful. Is licensed mm-hmm. to commit rape in the West.
2: Because you have to relieve stress, you know, because a very stressful situation.
0: They're socio-culturally homeless.
2: Oh, there's a place there's... in hell for that woman. German... I-, I hope she gets raped, and I never say that, but that, that kind of comment and that stupidity and that kind of empathy she's having, which is so wrong, I hope something happens to her, and then we'll see how she feels about that. Germany. Good God
0: right this is this is the um germany is not welcoming enough Uh. so i mean you know this is the mentality you have with ruling class in the west and that includes right here in chicago and right here in illinois with blm brandon and governor spaulding and the political ruling class that uh, we all have sent to springfield and certainly includes the attitude that you've seen play out in the real world, the consequences that comes out of the Biden administration. That's what that's where it's at. John in Elkhorn, Wisconsin.
5: Good morning, Dan and Amy. Um, I'm my concern with all these illegal single military aid men coming into this country is what if the Biden administration is creating. A military force that so would have no allegiance to the United States to come after American citizens that may be MAGA.
0: Well, well, I mean, wh- wh- why do you need a why do you need a, a foreign force to do that? You have the FBI. You have the Department of Justice. You have the U.S. military. Uh, your very own – well, not yours. You're in Wisconsin. Our very own Senators uh, Duckworth and Durbin want to provide a, a path for the undocumented people in this country illegally to serve in the military and gain citizenship. Clay, Libertyville.
5: morning, Dan and Amy. Amy, uh, I'm willing to take you up on your offer. I, I'm a certified welder. If you fly me down, to, or hell, I'll even fly my own salt down to the border. You find me steel, you find me a welder, I'll weld the fence back together.
16: I'm just
2: surprised because I live down there, and there's a lot of patriots and a lot of true Americans. I'm very surprised that they haven't tried yet.
14: Yeah,
5: I don't know.
2: Unless they get uh, stopped. But, yeah, I'll let you know when we take our road trip.
5: I, we'll even slap an AM560 sticker on it. As for the uh,
0: <laughs> as for the debate,
5: I'd rather watch a Christmas movie with Reese Witherspoon. Uh Wow, that's, another, an that's exactly what I did last night. Oh, my did. wife and I didn't even turn on the Republican debate. We've turned on four Christmases with okay. Reese Witherspoon and Vince Vaughn last night. I'm not going to give those people a waste of my energy at all. They're all terrible. They are all just corrupt, terrible people. And as for the border, it's pretty simple. These people want you dead. And when I say people, I mean politicians. They want you dead. They want you raped. If any of them actually cared at all about our border, it would have been handled already. We still wouldn't be putting around the whole thing. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Have a great day.
0: And, uh, of course, Nikki Haley, she got hit on this uh, last night's debate. You know, she wants to defer to to corporate America to drive our immigration policy. And and and, and I'm not opposed to um, a uh, worker program, a foreign worker program, as we've had in our country in the past. But, but uh, h- here again this complicating factor that um, people on the left can't seem to understand or don't want to. Uh, There needs to be a process by which we do that. It needs to be under color of law. It needs to be organized and uh, accounted for. It can't be throw open the gates and let's see how it works out because Microsoft needs this and Apple needs that. Mm No, no. No, of uh, first you get control of the border, you move to expel people here illegally you the only person, the only area where maybe I, I would be open to more personnel is the administrative judges, the immigration judges that need to process these caseloads faster to make determinations on asylum more quickly. okay, fine, and then we're moving people along. Uh, Rama Swami during the debate again last night, people saying, oh, there's no nothing proposed. Well, there's been a, a lot of detail on this, um, suggests something like scaling what Greg Abbott is doing Texas uh, in Texas nationally in terms of deputizing effectively uh, domestic law enforcement to aid in the capture of people in this country illegally. And my priority would be, as I've said, for years and years and years, and it really highlights just how uninterested the political ruling class is, how unserious the American people are on this. People in this country have committed crimes. People in this committee in this country have committed violent crimes, class X felonies, and are still here, or have been uh, sent back to their country of origin, and then they're back in. I mean, you're so indifferent to public safety and national security. That you don't even care foreign nationals commit uh, who are been convicted of committing class sex felonies. We're talking about thousands that are on American soil. If you can't accomplish that task, then we have nothing to talk about, about anything else, about Ukraine funding or guest worker programs or anything else. Show me you can do that. As a, good, as a good faith effort, and then let's have a conversation about the bigger, better deal. But we're not going to do this thing that the Chicago Public School, uh, the Chicago Teachers Union does. We're not going to try to improve the education anywhere until we can improve the education everywhere. It, this is a rescue operation. You try to do as much as you can, as quickly as you can, for as many as you can. It's a situation in K through 12 government schools, and it's a situation at the border and in our country writ large.
2: This text message, Dan and Amy, when will someone say that the money for Ukraine is to keep the shenanigans the Bidens got away with quiet?
0: Mm. Uh, Kurt in Lamont, Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah. Hi, Dan and Amy. Thanks
13: for taking the call. The, the Two examples. So, first of all, you know, I think it's clear to people that this isn't uh, – uh, accidental. It's sort of planned. It's a
5: conveyor belt that's been set up by the governments, by the NGOs. And so the, this is
13: what. It's
0: ideological. Huge, right. Exactly. Exactly.
5: Exactly. And
13: uh, the way that they try to deal with this, of course, is to shut up the people. So they're imposing an anarcho tyranny, basically. So the two examples that you gave, you know, in Germany, they're not prosecuting crimes or basically giving someone who commits a heinous crime a, a slap on the wrist. And um, in Ireland, they're criminalizing speech. Yeah. So that's the way that they think they're going to control this. But I think it's going to backfire.
0: Thanks for the call, Kurt. Well, it's starting to. It seems to be. Uh, places like the Netherlands. We'll see if it backfires in the U.S. next year, I suppose. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: It's like a hot steaming cup of information start your day, it's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and A. Whatever you think of of Ramaswamy, I... I don't think Nikki Haley had a good debate performance last night.
2: She looked like a victim. I right, she just looked quiet and meaner. I don't know, her just her it, it was not good at all for her.
0: Yeah, maybe the approach is uh, if uh, the feeling is that Ramaswamy is coming off as too aggressive then it's better to say less and let him um, you know, let him generate empathy for you. Uh, but but on the merits of some things a bit problematic like her attempting to recast Her call to eliminate anonymity on social media and both uh, Ramaswamy and DeSantis pounced.
7: We
12: do not need freedom of speech for Russians and Iranians and Hamas. We need social media companies to go and fight back on all of these bots that are happening. That's what I said as a mom. As a mom, do I think that social media would be more civil if we went and had people's names next to that? Yes, I do think that, because I think we've got too much cyberbullying. I think we've got child pornography and all of those things. But having said that, I never said government should go and require anyone's name. That's false. He said, I "I want
9: your name. She absolutely president of the said United it. States, her first day in office, she said, one of the first things I'm going to do.
12: I said we were going to get medias, the millions want of
9: She wants government ID to forward dox forward. every what American. You're That's she what, what she said. You can roll the tape. She said, I want your name. And that was going to be one of the first things she did in office. And then she got real serious blowback. And understandably so, because it'd be a massive expansion of government. Actually- we have anonymous speech. The Federalist Papers were written. With anonymous writers, Jay, Madison, and Hamilton—they—they they went under pubulus. It's something that's important, and especially given how conservatives have been attacked and 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 they've lost jobs and they've been canceled. You know the regime would use that to weaponize that against our own people. Okay. Okay. It was so, a bad idea.
0: Yeah, DeSantis got the better of that exchange because he's he's right in terms of the impact. He's also right in terms of what Haley said. Here's what Nikki Haley said on Harris Faulkner's show on Fox on the topic.
12: When I get into office, the first thing we have to do, social media accounts, social media companies, they have to show America their algorithms. Let us see why they're pushing what they're pushing. The second thing is every person on social media should be verified by their name. That's, first of all, it's a national security threat. When you do that, all of a sudden, people have to stand by what they say, and it gets rid of the Russian bots, the Iranian bots, and the Chinese bots. And then you're going to get some civility when people know their name is next to what they say.
0: Accountability. And they
12: know their pastor and their family member is going to see it. It's going to help our kids, and it's going to help our country.
0: So she tried to recast it in the debate as just about eliminating Russian bots and so forth, but that's not what she said. And she is saying as president, uh, the first and second things I'm going to do are these things. Well, that's the government. So she's not saying it would be a good idea, uh, something you know that should be, we should we should promote culturally. No, she's saying the government is going to impose. And the and 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 uh, for the in furtherance of eliminating anonymity. That, that's not.
2: Uh, she tried to walk it back. It didn't work.
0: And then the other thing, too, I mean, just a, a bizarre sort of statement she made, uh, sticking on the social media topic, when the conversation turned to the uh, rise in anti-Semitism. That's been well documented. We've talked about quite a bit. It's only been ratcheted up after that ghastly testimony from Ivy League wow. presidents the other day before a congressional committee. But but she said this about TikTok.
12: We really do need to ban TikTok once and for all. And let me tell you why. For every 30 minutes that someone watches TikTok every day, they become 17% more anti Semitic, more pro Hamas based on doing that. We now know that 50% of adults, 18 to 25, think that Hamas was warranted in what they did with Israel. That's a problem.
0: Well, that's like second- it
2: on TikTok. Okay.
0: Well, 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 the second data point, about 50 percent, is based on a survey. We talked about that. The uh, TikTok, you, and, and this is not about whether banning TikTok or not in this country is a good idea. It's just making up stuff. For every 30 minutes someone is on TikTok every day, they increase their anti-Semitism by 17 mm-hmm. what, percent. What, 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 what is what that? What study
2: is that from? Is that from Dr. Fauci?
0: How would you even measure that?
2: You know, I mean, that was so random. I it's don't know.
0: bizarre. Uh, it just speaks to somebody who's not in command of their views. Maybe Selena Zito's national political reporter. She's also the author of The Great Revolt Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics. You can always check out her latest work at Selena Selena, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
17: Good morning. How are you?
0: Good. So, um, I mean, give us your handle on the debate. Start with your um, your Roger, uh, your uh, Siskel and Ebert on on uh, Nikki Haley.
17: (laughs) So I think that a lot of people went into there. There was a lot of momentum. There was a lot of stories uh, about Nikki Haley going into the debate last night. Right. AFP had endorsed her. And, and, you know, she had been moving up in the polls, a bunch of stories about Wall Street's now behind Nikki Haley. So there was this expectation she was going to have a good night. And she did not have a good night. Um, and I think that Ron DeSantis actually had a really golden moment last, last night. Not one particular thing, but he was even keeled. He was good on issues. He was good on policy, uh, and he he had a a tone and a rhythm to him that was consistent. Voters look for that. They don't look for big highs and big lows in their decision making. And so, I think if we if we're looking as a whole at the whole debate, DeSantis the, the had a great great night, and I think that was a really tough night for Nikki Haley, because, and in particular, because there was all this, you know, sort of juice around her that this was going to be her moment.
14: And yeah, she didn't and rise
0: to the occasion? She well, did, not I,
17: rise, did not rise to the occasion.
0: And she also has uh, to deal with it. I'm sorry. She also and has to all deal of with us
17: can have. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. I
17: think mean, all of us can have good, you know, bad nights, but. Not when you're running for president. Right. Um, Everything is on the line every time you're up there. You always have to be on your A game. And she and she did not bring her A game last night.
0: Right. And it's at the last debate before the caucus, too. So now, people, that's going to be the the last impression to the extent that. uh, Exactly. Yeah. But but also, too, she had to deal with a junkyard dog named Ramaswamy. um, And uh, Chris Christie.
2: I, I mean, they were both barking over her.
0: Um, but I mean, Ramaswamy, you're barking at her, right? Uh, and uh, and and you know, and again, e- even if you find Ramaswamy too aggressive, as some do, I mean, there was some, there was at least a, uh, some, if not a lot of truth to what he was saying, the challenge he was issuing, and the competing visions for America between uh, somebody that's more neocon oriented, like Haley and Christie. And uh, those that are more America firster types, like uh, Ramaswamy and DeSantis,
17: right. And so I think Ramaswamy's challenge is his style. Right. Um, he he has what is often referred to in political circles as the tech bro style, right? Like you know, he's sort of a, you know, not sort of, he's aggressive. Um, and, and there are, there are a lot of things that he says and you're like, yeah, I could get with that. But he has that same problem that Trump has in that. Yeah, I could get with that, but geez, do you have to say it that way? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and uh, do, do Americans have that, uh, the appetite for continuing that sort of more edgy and in your face sort of WWE, um, style Or are they looking for um, someone more like DeSantis, who is essentially saying almost all of the same things in a much more – from a position of governing? And I think that there is an appetite among conservative voters that that polling hasn't quite tapped into yet, where Republican voters – are very much into wanting someone who's going to not take any guff, right? Um, in in the in the mindset of Trump, but not the style of Trump. Yeah. But they're also looking for someone who can govern, and I think that's missing in the polling that the pollsters haven't tapped into. Voters want both of that.
2: But I don't against. trust him really on foreign policy, man. Did you hear his answer about he doesn't think that an attack on Israel is an attack on America. And that did not sit well with me last night.
17: Oh no. Yeah. Not not at all. I mean I mean I, I'm I'm agreeing with you, Amy. Right. Um because because you know, there is our relationships and our identities are very much intertwined. And and that was a um that was that was a a, a big misfire.
0: Uh, it sounds to me, Selena, like you're intimating that Ron DeSantis may have some momentum on the ground in Iowa. And since you're the one of the, one of the few political reporters that actually does the on the ground reporting, you probably know better than most of the rest of the D.C. press corps looking past the polling. And I'm sensing you think that maybe there's a possibility that Iowa turns out to be at least closer than people anticipate?
17: See, I have been of the belief, uh, no, I haven't been back for two weeks, but I'll go right back right after Christmas. Um, And honestly, that's when Iowa voters really start to, to harden their choices. Remember, when you go into a caucus, you go in there with four choices. You don't go in there with one, because your person, your guy might not make it. So you've got to have a plan B and a plan C. Uh, and and I, Iowa voters, I think, are much more inclined to be supportive of DeSantis than any of the other people that are on stage, including Donald Trump. I think people forget that Donald Trump didn't win there in 2016. Mm-hmm. And that while evangelical voters, you know, in Iowa, they're not some of Iowa Republican caucus voters. They are all... Uh, Republican caucus voters. And he has done the due diligence, the job, the handshaking, the going to every county. He's gone to, you know, Iowa voters expect you not to just come to their county. They expect you to come to their living room. And he's done all that. So I think it's a real test to see, has good old-fashioned retail politics in the way that Don DeSantis has done, eclipsed parachuting in and doing a rally and talking about yourself and the airing of the grievances, which is what Trump has become. And evangelical voters are very aspirational. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. It's not, it's not about them. It's about everyone. And to date, that is, DeSantis has run on the the, the, the election being about the voter Whereas Trump has been running on the election being about fulfilling his grievances. It's about him. Uh,
0: The only thing I I wonder about that is, you know, has his uh, one of his standard lines that um, they're not coming after me, they're coming after you. I'm just standing in the way sort of he is the the shield and the sword at the same time for the everyman. I wonder how much that has penetrated, though. And so there's a certain level of. Dismissal uh, about as to some of his rhetorical excesses.
17: Well, I, I don't disagree with you. However, it takes a coalition to win. I think there's only a portion of the coalition where that has really has stickiness to it, and and you need all of your coalition to be united on that sentiment. And I don't know. I cannot say for certain that that is enough for Trump to win Iowa. I mean, he may win Iowa, but I'm just holding back on saying it, it's inevitable. Because when talking to voters, there's a like, well, you know, you know, there's a nuance there that I think mm-hmm. people miss. Where I like Trump, or I like Trump's policies, or I like that he had our back. But there's also like, there's also a part where like I. Not going to look in the rearview mirror. I want to look forward. I want someone younger. Um, I'm exhausted. I, you know, there's a there's a lot of layers of decision making going in there for a voter, and I, I I think that we we need to wait till closer to the election before we understand who will win. And even most importantly, right now, is polling has been messed up. Since 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 Donald Trump became part of the political lexicon. And in other words, polling is all over the place. You would have thought in 2020 he was going to win. You would have thought in 2022 Republicans were going to win. Yep. And it didn't happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, no red uh, wave. It's still I mean, it's there's the yeah. difference between 30 point spreads and five point spreads. But I, I take your point. And I mean, as always, you're I mean, that, that's why. Uh, your reporting is so good is because you're You know in the milieu talking to people And so we're going to have to check back with you closer To the caucus to get uh, your handicapping um, Once you've uh, Once you're back uh, on the ground In uh, in Iowa there uh, Selena Zito national political reporter Author of The Great Revolt Inside the Populist Coalition reshaping American politics And again check out her work And um, the reporting She'll be doing from Iowa as well Specifically selenazito.com Is the website Selena thanks as always
17: Thanks so much. Have a great day, you guys.
0: You too. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro
2: answer line.
1: Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560 The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. When uh, National Review founder William F. Buckley described the convert to conservatism as a liberal who had been mugged by reality.
2: Oh, yeah. I love he that. didn't mean
0: he didn't mean literally. He meant like intellectually, like I've confronted what is real. And I realize that uh, conservatism is more reflective of how the commonsensical person deals with the reality of the human condition. Uh, Unfortunately, in Chicago, to get a person to that point, get so many people to that point, it requires a literal mugging. That's the standard. I give you Anthony Driver. Anthony Driver is the president of the Community Commission on Public Safety and Accountability. He is now calling for the Chicago Police Department to relax its restrictions on vehicle pursuits because... Sharp controls on said pursuits have encouraged robberies by criminals who believe they are unlikely to be chased. Oh, you don't say. You know how Anthony Driver came to this realization? How? He was the victim of an armed robbery while walking near his South Side home. Two teenagers jumped out of a tan SUV, stuck a gun in his abdomen, made off with his wallet. When I was robbed, they had robbed six people before me literally. They pulled up and when they robbed me, they threw out purses. They dumped the purses in the street, said driver. I'm hearing from Chicagoans, I'm hearing from police officers and stakeholders that this something needs to be looked at. Looked at. We can't uh, we can't hide or run from this issue anymore. I don't think there was a lot of public input from either the general public or officers when this policy was created. Oh, really? You don't think so? <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad he's saying something, you know, but I mean, good grief. This is why uh, getting a handle on the rampant violent crime in Chicago is so painstaking. Uh, in a bygone era, things were different. Jerry Finnegan is a decorated and notorious former Chicago police officer. He's both, decorated and notorious, and how a decorated police officer becomes notorious. Well, that's a conversation we're going to have with him. He's the subject of a new podcast called Finnegan's Take, and it's uh, produced by our friend Neil Edelstein, who's a great Hollywood producer. I mean, he's a really good storyteller. Edelstein was um, on—he was a producer on The Straight Story uh, with David Lynch. David Lynch directed uh, Richard Farnsworth— Sissy Spacek. I mean, that's one of the, the most beautiful movies in the last thirty years. Uh, as well as he produced the Ring, uh, Mulholland Drive. So now he's produced. Uh, he's the interviewer of Jerry Finnegan for this uh, podcast called Finnegan's Take, and it's about uh, crime in Chicago. A couple of the first two episodes have been released, and uh, because we're friends, we got uh, advance on some of the uh, forthcoming episodes. Uh, and it's, it's just interesting to hear Finnegan's take, if you will, on what it used to be like. He was uh, 20 years on CPD starting in 1988. So from the end of the last century to the beginning of this one, just uh, this little exchange on police chases when he was on the force.
18: The rule of the street is, and I don't know how that's everywhere else, but in Chicago, if you ran from the police, you got an ass with it. That's just the way it was, and that was citywide. If you didn't make the police chase you, it went a little easier on you. But if you're running, jumping fences, and getting everybody sweated up, and then you're going to resist, you're going to get an ass whipping. And that's the way it was.
1: And because this was somewhat the rules of the game. That's correct. Most people abided by this knowledge, usually.
18: Most of the guys, most of the bangers, They just took the ass with it. And that was the end of it. It wasn't personal. So you went in the store. I mean, you didn't beat them till they had to go to the hospital. But you gave them some punches in the stomach, took them in, and then, you know, you bought them a soda, and, you know, they're going to jail. And, I mean, if they weren't told, sometimes, man, I, I'd buy them a sandwich. I mean, what's the big deal? It wasn't personal. That was the way it was out there. They knew the rules, and they broke the rules. So that's the way it was.
0: Uh Finnegan's Take, the podcast, can be found on Spotify and Apple. Jerry Finnegan joins us now. Jerry, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it.
11: Oh, thank you, Dan uh, and Amy. Good morning, and thanks for having me.
0: Well, so um, the, the obvious question is how does somebody go from being a, a – I mean, you've got awards from ATF, from Cook County Sheriff, from Chicago Police, um, most illegal guns off the street, multiple years running when you were on the force. So how does somebody go from being that Chicago police officer to a former Chicago police officer who got sentenced to 10 years in federal prison?
11: Yeah, Dan, you know, um, I contemplated that very uh, very often to myself after the fact, but uh, actually um, uh, I gave in to, to greed. Uh, we were recovering millions of dollars in uh, illicit drugs uh, and firearms, uh, but the money that we recovered, we never turned in and, um, kind of like the, uh, the reasoning I thought and the guys I was with said, well, it's, it's dope money. Who is it going to hurt? Uh, I'm not taking some, uh, some woman's money. Who's an old woman. Um, but, but really when, when it all boils down to it, um, that was just, you know, to make myself feel better, I guess, cause it was illegal. Uh, and I wish I would have kept my hands in my pockets cause it ruined my career uh it was my uh, it was actually the best job I ever had I loved it
0: and 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 the um what you ultimately plot out to though was was some, some income tax evasion on the stolen money but also a murder for hire plot
6: That's correct
11: that's correct um so uh you know I mean DM, I mean the show's not long enough and you know yeah,
0: really, i understand. not long
11: enough to explain everything but uh, truly uh you know I said something I should not have said, but there was no act of furtherance. Uh, There was no, uh, the the, the supposed hitman that I was looking to hire was a figment of the imagination of the FBI and the U.S. attorney's office. Uh, There was no, nobody involved besides myself. Uh, And um, like I said, it was, it was a dumb thing for me to do. uh, And I regret it. Uh, I was not going to plead to that, but uh, my lawyer Told me, give them their uh, pound of flesh, Uh, and it'll go easier for me in court and later in prison where I could go to a camp. But apparently, uh, he wasn't truthful about that.
2: I wanted to ask well, I just wanted to ask I was working at Channel 5 when that picture came out of you and Tim McDermott, and you're sitting down. There's antlers on a black man, and you guys are holding weapons. Who's the black dude in that picture? Oh, that kid?
11: Yeah. That that uh, that uh, kid, uh, he was a juvenile at the time, and uh, he uh, he was later killed in a drive-by shooting. His brother was a uh, was the gang leader for uh, the traveling vice lords in the 11th district, uh, Levar Span. And uh, that that gentleman's name, I don't remember the young man's name, his first name, but he was uh, Span was his last name. Uh, Amy, actually, it was like a joke, and it was a bad joke. It was strictly my idea.
5: Uh,
11: I equated us to being uh, hunters, uh, and uh, on that picture I wrote, "This twelve-point buck was shot On Chicago's wild, wild west side." Yeah, I remember. Um, There was no racial intent involved in that. Uh, If it would have been in a white neighborhood, I would have did it to a white kid. Unfortunately, I didn't work in white neighborhoods, Um, but it was it was a joke and probably the worst joke ever committed. Well, what did Um, he think
2: about the whole thing? Was he just compliant? You told him to get down. Like, how did that transpire?
11: Oh yeah, well we took him into the station, Amy. We we actually got him with ninety bags of uh, cannabis, uh, you know, on the on the drug uh, on the scene where he was selling it. And uh, the the six hundred block of North Avers, his family controlled that area. Uh, so I told him if he let me take a picture, uh, that I would let him go, which I did. Uh, I didn't charge him with the uh, with the cannabis. Um, I mean, probably not a good idea. But the thing is, I mean, nothing would happen in any way. He was a juvenile.
0: So, I mean, t- take us back. You know, the, the clip I played from a forthcoming episode of your uh, interviews with Neil Edelstein for Finnegan's Take, uh, talking about police chases. You know, take us back to uh, sort of the good and the bad and the ugly of of the era where you were a decorated police officer before things uh, turned. Um, and and you know, what lessons maybe, uh, particularly from the good, uh, may need to be revisited with the Chicago police today.
11: Yeah, Dan, uh, and I I would think that, uh, you know, uh, Lisa Madigan uh, enacting the uh, consent decree uh, was the end of policing in Chicago. Um, Hmm. Coupled with the cameras, uh, the thing is uh, policemen do not want to uh, be on the front page, uh, be the next person who's indicted uh, for putting their hands on somebody, even if that person is resisting. Um, these cameras out there, these cell phone cameras, they don't tell the whole story. They're only showing little blurbs of what the news and what these people who are taking these videos want to show you. So, uh, the police back then at the time I was the police, uh, we had full autonomy over the city legitimately. I mean, you, you would go in neighborhoods, you would go to war with these guys physically and have to fight with them to take them to jail. Now there's no respect for the police. Uh, You can see that uh, by the crime in Chicago is just completely out of control. I don't know what the police department is going to do to address it. Uh, I don't have much confidence in the leadership. I know that superintendent worked in the 7th district. Um, Like I said, I don't know if he's capable of changing things, but he's going to take his marching orders from the fifth floor. And Mayor Johnson is not going to let him come out there and be heavy handed. And I'm not saying beat people down. Go
2: ahead, Amy. No, I'm, no, uh, well, I was, I'm sorry I interrupted. I thought you were done speaking. But what do you think? Like, th- There's no foot chase policy, no chasing. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, that's that was an important tool yeah, for you guys back then.
11: Well, Amy, I mean, I don't know. Who, obviously, whoever enacted these policies uh, were not the police. Um, they were attorneys that worked for the police department, uh, never worked the street, had office jobs their whole career, uh, some of these bosses. Um, you cannot police people out here without getting in foot chases that is absolutely absurd uh the same with the vehicle chases the robberies are out of control here uh there was an incident where a 12th district car just within the last couple of weeks got behind a vehicle called it in he was a one-man car four guys heavily armed just committed six robberies his sergeant immediately called that chase off it wasn't even a chase he was following the car so i mean if people the citizens of Chicago, realize. It's very unsafe out there. And the police department have their hands tied as officers, the everyday street guys and women. So I feel very bad for the citizens and I feel bad for the police because they're not enabled to do their job anymore.
0: Uh, Back back when you were on the force, um, would you say that the pendulum had swung too far in the direction of police autonomy? And now, clearly, it swung too far in the direction of handcuffing the police and and politicians having the autonomy uh, to, to, uh, uh, to 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 sort of direct policing, if you will. I mean, or do or do you look back at the time that you were on the force and say uh, we should cut and paste that time and apply it to today?
11: I would agree that I would agree with that because uh, Dan, here's the thing: um, back then, like I said, uh, people. The bad guy out there. Uh, if you worked in a certain area of the city, you got to know the bad players in your district. Uh, and on citywide, I mean, you could come across these hot spots, and you know these guys are doing no good. But the problem is, um, nowadays, and I think previous, that should be brought back. I'm not. I don't condone beating people, but on the other hand, these individuals out here are committing these crimes. They're not. They're not. Worried about the police doing their jobs anymore because they know the police aren't going to street stop them. They know the police aren't going to stop them in vehicles and go through their vehicles uh, to recover these guns. Um, you have a, you have all these individuals out here, even the juveniles, committing robberies. And this is seriously, when you think about it, it's a conspiracy, and that's what the federal government should come into play here. They back in the fire to do these robberies.
0: Back back in the day when when we had uh, when we had kingpins like Jeff Fort or Larry Hoover mm-hmm. that uh, really had sort of operational could in my understanding as a layman. So correct me if I'm wrong, but, but seemingly had operational control of the distribution of power and turf uh, in, in the city. Um, was that, what, what was the relationship like between the police and those uh, gang kingpins and how is that different from today?
11: Well, you knew who the leaders were. Uh, the leaders weren't in prison. Uh, well, of course, Jeff Fort was and Larry Hoover. But you knew who to go to the next guy. Uh, our gang intelligence uh, would, would address these guys. They do long-term investigations. I would uh, encounter the guys who were the mid-level, although Waquita Fort was Jeff Fort's son, and I encountered him on a regular basis in the south end of the ninth District. And we used to have a talk, and I would tell them that the, the shooting's got to stop over here. Dan, you're not going to stop the war on drugs because it's just not going to stop here. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, there's so much violence, and these gangs have splintered off into different factions now, it's hard to get a grasp on who's running what area.
0: Right, and and so, I mean, we had uh, Jody Weiss on the show a few months back, and, and he was talking about that gang summit that he had when he was uh, CPD superintendent and the criticism he got, but... But his his argument was you know, basically you have to it's sort of what you're saying. He didn't quite say it that way, but this is what he was intimating that, you know, this is the landscape. And I can't fundamentally change the landscape. But what I can do is try and get to the uh, shot callers and get some sort of rules of the game to reduce the violence as much as possible. And if you don't engage them, then uh, you have no chance to do that.
11: I, I agreed with that gang summit with weiss uh i did not know the man um i am not much on a person who comes from the outside to run a police department who does not go up the ranks Mm
5: -hmm. um
11: but on the other hand i think by him meeting with these gang leaders with his command staff um you can curtail some of the activity out there they're, they're doing uh but the driving force is is the drugs uh you know and the money that's that's what it is, and that's what's creating and perpetuating this violence because of the money involved in it, and that's why you have the shootings. But Dan I, and Amy, I don't really care about the gangbangers. I mean, I, that's the life they choose. But it's these children and these right. women who are
0: victims the in their
11: own neighborhoods. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And where and where are these organizations like Black Lives Matter when a child is killed out here? It, you, it's it's a... crickets. You don't hear a word about it. But if a policeman does something minor or even a little on the, on the edge of being maybe illegal, it's in the news for, for weeks and months.
0: It, what, I mean, if you, if you were uh, John Cantzara, FOP head, what, what is the one thing that you would die on a hill on and say, we have got to get this, we don't have something that we need now, this is the thing, if you're going to give me one thing to improve uh, policing and by extension public safety in Chicago, give me this thing.
11: Yeah, John, John, John's a good guy, and he's, he's for his guys, and he's, uh, he's a great president. So with that being said, I, uh, the money part doesn't come into play. Um, but the thing is, I think that he should go and sit down with the mayor and the superintendent and tell them, take the gloves off. Let these police officers come out here and do their jobs without worrying about COPA or worrying about internal affairs hammering these guys, not condoning violence, but, for being a little heavy handed putting the pressure on these other gangs out on the street, something has to be done. But right now, like I said, the police officers, the rank and file people they have their hands tied, and I still speak to a lot of guys and girls and and honestly, Dan and amy they they've taken the wind out of their sails.
0: He is Jerry Finnegan, a former Chicago police officer uh the podcast Finnegan's take as uh Brought to us by uh, Hollywood producer Neil Edelstein. It's available at Spotify and Apple. First couple episodes are out, but you you can tell we're just scratching the surface here. Jerry Finnegan, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, good luck with the podcast. Appreciate your time.
11: Thank you so much for having me. You guys have a
2: great day. Thank you, and he joined us on our Answer line.
0: There's only one radio
1: show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. The answer. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM 560. The answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Hate has a home on Ivy League campuses. We know that. We've known that for a long time. But some people are just waking up to that reality. Certainly that reality was brought home In no uncertain terms, from the Ivy League presidents who appeared before a House committee the other day, we discussed yesterday, but uh, to refresh your recollection, because there has been a post-hearing statement Uh, intended to do some damage control from the testimony that was offered by Liz McGill. She's trying to walk it back. The president of Penn. Uh, McGill was... Decidedly smug, almost giggling when she had this back and forth with Congresswoman Elise Stefanik.
16: Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct, yes or no?
7: If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, yes.
16: I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment?
7: If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context dependent decision, Congresswoman.
16: It's a context dependent decision. That's your testimony today, calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your testimony if it, if that it, you will not answer yes? If it, uh, is if the, yes speech or becomes, no.
7: if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes?
16: Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for Save the world yourself. to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay at Harvard.
0: Yeah, it's the same deal at Harvard. Um, the uh, the follow up I mentioned would have been interesting. From uh, Stefanic would be, really, it's contextual. So, um, give me the context. Give me a hypothetical in which the context uh, theoretically that would make calling for the genocide of the Jews acceptable under the Penn Code of Conduct. Actually, we don't need any sort of context because it's happening and you're not doing anything about it. So I guess just doing it as a matter of course on campus is well within your interpretation of the Penn Code of Conduct. Well, she had 24 hours to think about that. Uh, miss mcgill penn university president and she posted this video to uh of course irony of ironies provide some context oh, to really? her testimony
7: oh okay so we got it wrong it's our there fault, was a right? moment during yesterday's congressional hearing on anti-semitism when i was asked if a call for the genocide of jewish people on our campus would violate our policies In that moment, I was focused on our university's longstanding policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution, which say that speech alone is not punishable. I was not focused on, but I should have been. The irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. It's evil, plain and simple. I want to be clear. A call for genocide of Jewish people is threatening, deeply so. It is intentionally meant to terrify a people who have been subjected to pogroms and hatred for centuries and were the victims of mass genocide in the Holocaust. In my view, it would be harassment or intimidation. For decades under multiple Penn Presidents and consistent with most universities, Penn's policies have been guided by the Constitution and the law. In today's world, where we are seeing signs of hate proliferating across our campus and our world in a way not seen in years, these policies need to be clarified and evaluated. Penn must initiate a serious and careful look at our policies, and Provost Jackson and I will immediately convene a process to do so, oh, yeah. As Making president, I'm committed to a safe, secure, and supportive environment, so all members of our community can thrive. We can, and we will, get this right. Thank you.
2: Oh, I, I no, stopped. thank you. No, no, really, thank you. No, thank. You. I mean, she. This is this is on the heels of, of a student coming forward, Jewish student uh, Yal Yekabi. Who said that they were told not to wear clothing or accessories related to Judaism? He actually had to run from a building because people were trying, were shouting at him, "Death to Jews." She so want to the, apologize to him? I mean, she created that atmosphere. That's why I say it.
0: So, so there's so many layers of disingenuousness here. Uh, one, you know, the the pro- we're, we, we have, um, we're immediately convening a uh, working group to address anti-Semitism on campus. The uh, upon reflection that would be considered harassment or intimidation, again, or the First Amendment is not what's controlling here. The code of conduct uh, for the university is what's controlling. Uh, I mean, the First Amendment ultimately is in the larger scheme of things, but that wasn't the question. It was about the code of conduct. Um, Also. You saw the real Liz McGill in her testimony before that committee. This is the politician Liz McGill having to recant and recast in response to pressure, probably in part from alumni. But all of this business—I mean, we've we've already been here before with Penn. Remember, I mean, uh, how embarrassing it is for the Ivy League to have, like, at Cornell, you 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 have to have Governor Kathy Hochul, New York State Governor come in and do a press conference. We're gonna do we're gonna and we're gonna initiate an anti-Semitism awareness uh module. Oh, and of course we're also gonna have an anti-Islamophobia module because you know we need to be even Steven as if the things are morally equivalent. And that's the same thing that uh, McGill testified to the other day. We have an action plan to combat anti-Semitism. We have a university task force and because anti-Semitism is interconnected to other forms of hate. So they're just sticking with the intersectionality, uh, DEI bull jive. She can't get out of it. They can't get out of it. The universities can't. They, they, and as I said, they're rolling out a presidential commission on Islamophobia, too, because they're equivalent threats, even though they're not. The university must do better to reject all forms of hate. Heather MacDonald, writing in The Wall Street Journal as usual, sticks the landing. The university has no capacity to eliminate hate, nor should that be its mission. In the name of rejecting hate, college built, colleges built their DEI bureaucracies in the first place and allowed bureaucrats and their faculty sympathizers to put certain facts and ideas off limits. In the name of rejecting hate, colleges, colleges started requiring faculty, even in the hard scientists, to justify their research in the name of inclusion and belonging. Protecting identity categories have constantly expanded while the haters shrank to an ever smaller subset of white males. Meaning they're the haters, the white males. The real issue on campuses isn't anti-Semitism, but the anti-Western ethos that has colonized large swaths of the curriculum. Elite schools once disdained Jews because they were seen as outsiders to Western civilization. Now they're reviled as that civilization's very embodiment. Students explain that their hatreds come from what they learn in class. That the West, the West is built on white supremacism and oppression. Israel is cast as the Western settler, colonist, oppressor par excellence. That's what's happening. The Liz McGill and these university presidents are so upside down with their identitarianism that they are trying to find a way to eliminate hate through hate. They're going to unify by dividing based on your intersectionality scores, based on the binary of oppressor and oppressed. This is a charade. What these Ivy League schools and other schools, Northwestern included, Stanford included, are doing in response to the embarrassing and sickening things happening on their campuses and the embarrassing and sickening testimony from their university presidents. That's what's actually happening.
2: 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment.
0: Ralph Rantoul.
5: Yeah, hey, good morning. You know, the good thing is that the first draft of her uh, recanting speech uh, went through their attorney, and their attorney said, look, um, you, Lish, I know you're going to fix this, but you really should think twice about using the phrase final solution in coming to a uh, conclusion. And she said, look, attorney Shlomo Goldfarb, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, How could you possibly think we're anti-Semitic?
0: Thanks for the backstory on that, Ralph. Yeah, appreciate that. Oh, boy. Greg Jefferson Park.
13: Hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, you know, she talks about, uh, you know, putting an end to this, and there is going to be an end to this until any conservative wants to come on their campus to speak about whatever. Then they'll be all for, uh, you know, stopping them, not giving them any security, uh, and allowing their student population to basically bash their brains in, because uh, because those people don't matter. And lastly, with respect to the American Jew, who, you know, what, 70-plus percent of them are leftist lunatics, You know, voting for these morons. You know what? You get what you vote for. You guys have a good day.
0: Thanks for the call, Greg. Yeah, I know. I understand. It's frustrating. But, you know, it's also frustrating, too, that these uh, these uh, uh, high net worth donors to these universities are getting ink when they fundamentally don't understand what's happening. Right, They fundamentally don't get it. This like well, Mark pay attention. Rowan. I mean, my God. Well, well, well th- they don't get it f- from both ends. They didn't understand what was happening, and then they don't understand what the proper response is. So, like, for example, this guy, Mark Cohen, who uh, wrote this open letter to uh, Liz McGill. We actually uh, excerpted it when it came out a couple weeks back. You know, he wants mandatory anti-Semitism awareness training. Y- you're not getting it. Read Heather MacDonald. Think through this. You're you're smart guys. That's how you made all the cash that you made. Same thing with Bill Ackman over at Harvard or Ken Griffin, for that matter. Think through this, or unless you're just interested in playing press release politics to get an attaboy boy from your rich friends and from the the the, uh, the you know the segment of the DC press corps that is going to you know profile you um, as you know, sort of. A leaders on the issue. The, the the response to identitarianism isn't more of it. You're not getting to the root problem. Uh, Matt's outside. Hey, Matt.
5: Matt.
0: Oh, Matt. Matt, you're. We got a bad connection there. Hold on. We'll try yeah, again. Yeah, call in a back, second. Matt. Alan Rockford.
13: My my comment is a simplistic observation that says that how quickly a leftist president of a college becomes a constitutional conservative when they're backed into a corner.
0: Well, yeah. They... Th- th- thanks for the call. I mean, one of the other lies I, I forgot to point to we did yesterday with response to Claudine Gay talking about how, you know, these universities um, are aligned with um, the spirit of the first amendment when nothing could be further from the truth we've been documenting that for as long as i've been on the air i mean the idea that yet yeah, they take the bill of rights and they apply that to sort of their code of conduct in their campus culture what a farce that is uh george naperville
5: yeah dan maybe miss mcgill could have cleared this all up by saying some of her best friends are jewish
0: yeah, right. Thanks. Oh, yeah. You know,
2: it's like what person said. Well, I have a black friend.
0: Th- I'm so sur- I'm surprised she didn't uh, announce that she is going to uh, call on Wharton to rescind Trump's MBA, do the full mis- misdirection play. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Nice. If you He's just grad there, just yeah. heap some scorn in Trump's direction. And then, you know, everything will be right with the world. Uh, Matt's outside. Hey, Matt. Yeah. Matt. Good morning,
6: Dan. Good morning. Amy. I apologize about that before. Um, real quick, I was going to say, what
5: well, they should ask, the
0: well, I want to... uh, Matt, oh, sorry, happening again. Sorry, you're in a bad zone, Matt. Mike Littleton, Colorado. Good morning. And thank you for taking the call. But why are parents sending their kids to these schools? I mean, I would the automatic. Well, you you know qualifier
5: why. would be. <laughs> no, I really don't. Please tell me
0: status i mean really uh, status connections uh pathway okay. to uh you know uh, tony to prime positions in yeah. corporate america and elsewhere
5: the connections i get but
0: i have to tell you that the fact
5: that they promoted that lady to that position automatically nullifies any status that could be attached to that school
0: i hear you thanks for the call mike i hear you but it's uh it's a there's a lot of inertia in that direction and uh for all the the um best and brightest that won't go to the Ivy Leagues because of what's happened, and good for them if they don't. They, they're going to be fine no matter where they go, the best and brightest students. Yeah, but there'll be people right behind them because there's just there's too much uh, to be gained uh, still and for the foreseeable future from that Ivy League degree. That's just the reality. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one, Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Amy, have you seen the movie Heat yet? I know it's only been out for 25 years, but have you gotten oh, around to that yet?
2: You know, I was thinking about downloading it, maybe and watching it. No, I have not seen Heat. Uh, I know. I so it's so horrific.
0: Tocino De Niro, Sizemore, Kilmer—that's yeah. not enough to get you. Oh, okay.
2: Kilmer, yeah. Oh, you know what? I'll check it out.
0: Uh, so there's a scene in Heat. Yes. Uh, spoiler alert here, if there's another person in in, in America who hasn't seen Heat other than Amy. Well, um, maybe
2: I shouldn't listen to this. Should I? Not? All right. Well, fine. Go on. Ahead. There's,
0: a, there's a scene where after the last bank heist and Pacino, who's the cop in the story, uh, and cops get the drop on the bank they're going to hit and they're there. And then there's a shootout on the street. After that happens, it breaks apart. De Niro gets on the phone to John Voight. John Voight's in it, too. Speaking of mm. great cast. Uh, and uh, John Voigt's sort of his the guy who sets up his deals, and he calls Voight says I need a new escape plan essentially, and he said um, I said well you know why how do you know it's been compromised and he said well after you know he said, essentially said after the cops showed up to the bank that we were going to hit, how can I trust it? How can I trust it? And So Voight charts a new escape plan. That's that's my reaction to all of this uh, hoopla surrounding Christopher Ray's big statement at the hearing the other day, particularly in the context of the pounding, the rightful pounding he took across all the other issues we poured through yesterday. Chris Ray's, uh, all the threats uh, are elevated.
13: So what I would say that is unique about the environment that we're in right now in my career is that while there may have been times over the years where individual threats, could have been higher here or there than where they might be right now. I've never seen a time where all the threats or so many of the threats are all elevated all at exactly the same time. That's what makes this environment that we're in now so fraught and why funding our men and women who are working shoulder to shoulder with state and local law enforcement and other partners every day makes it even more important, not less.
14: So... Blinking red lights analogy about 9-11, all the lights were blinking red before 9-11. Apparently, obviously, all of us missed it. Would you say that there's multiple blinking red lights out there?
5: I see blinking lights everywhere I turn.
0: It's like a scene out of an airplane uh, with Shatner. Uh, the um, blinking red lights everywhere I turn. This has been the headline. Oh, blinking red lights. Uh, Christopher Ray predicts a terrorist attack and so on and so forth. How can I trust it? How can I trust the FBI under Christopher Wray, particularly not just because of the track record and the politicization, but because he's there with his tin cup asking for money and asking for FISA Section 702 renewal? How how can I trust him? How can I trust the CIA? Reading uh, my latest edition of Imprimus uh, from Hillsdale College great newsletter they put out monthly. Charles Faddis is a former operations officer in the CIA, including a service as the department chief of the CIA's counterterrorism center and a chief of station in the Middle East. We need the CIA, but we also need to recognize the uncomfortable reality that the CIA is not performing at the level we require. It is not keeping us safe. It must be repaired, and it must be repaired quickly. He basically says... There are two reasons, bureaucratization and politicization. He talks about all the things the CIA missed, including the COVID outbreak in Wuhan. He writes, the people in charge of our government, including those who run the CIA, have forgotten their core mission and how they're to be effective. Is what he's referencing without getting into details. They've done their best to turn the CIA into just another federal agency. Recruiters no longer search for intangibles or focus on the key psychological traits critical to success in the world of spying. They look at academic degrees, existing levels of language proficiency, and increasingly at things like skin color and sexual orientation. The CIA is buried under layers, endless layers of middle management. Case officers in the field may spend days just trying to complete the requisite paperwork for a single asset meeting. He goes on, and by the way, he also goes on to say, you know, all the the crossfire hurricane that was initiated by Jim Comey's uh, FBI. I mean, that wouldn't have happened without uh, authorization from John Brennan's CIA. We don't talk about the CIA enough and and that with respect to that either. He writes, recruiting CIA must be completely revamped. Quotas are absurd. Focus on color, gender and sexual orientation is at best irrelevant We want the best, and that means those people who possess the unique blend of skills and abilities to enable them to do what everyone else considers impossible. He also says the structure of the CIA must be flattened and simplified. The organization must be field-centric. And he goes on with more prescriptions for uh, structural and cultural change at the CIA. So um, I ask again, based on what we're hearing from people who know, in addition to what we're seeing in terms of performance, how can we trust it? They're always there to demand more money and more scope of power in spite of performance, not because of it. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Fred Flights, Vice Chair of the American First Policy Institute Center for American Security. He previously served as the National Security Council Chief of Staff, a CIA analyst, and a House Intelligence Committee staff member. Fred, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Um, Is there um, any reason I should trust uh, Chris Ray's FBI or the CIA in its current iteration?
13: Well, I'm I'm glad you brought up this article by my friend Sam Faddis. That's a speech he gave at Hillsdale College. I gave one at the same program. And we had similar messages. The message that I gave was a little bit different. And what I said was that the CIA was created to serve the president. It wasn't served to speak truth to power or to adjudicate presidential policy or to interfere in presidential elections or to promote climate change, or, and all the other nonsense that Sam talked about. And I agree, uh, there, there has to be a, a major house cleaning, major reorganizations, because we now have an intelligence structure that new Republican presidents won't trust. And this is just so dangerous, because we live in a very dangerous world, and presidents have to get crucial intelligence on potential global threats, knowing that the people giving it to him don't have an agenda. They're trying to keep our nation safe. And we have a situation now, if President Trump is reelected next year, and I think he will be, uh, until there are major, major changes in the intelligence community, uh, he's just going to ignore these people.
0: And, and, and I mean, it's a really a bit of a trick bag because at the same time, you know, the as the argument goes, you know very well, you'll hear from former CIA, just like former FBI, Uh, The rank-and-file analysts and uh, agents are good people. They're doing hard work. They're uh, not political. They're trying to enhance America's safety and America's uh, national security. And so we're in this bit of a trick bag where we're supposed to trust the rank-and-file even as we concede we can't trust the leadership.
13: Uh, and that's exactly right. And basically the philosophy in these intelligence agencies now is that we're the experts and they want to tell the president what to think and, and that they are, the, they are basically they, – they say they speak truth to power. I got news for you. Intelligence is not truth. It is an opinion. If I write an intelligence analyst, a, a, analysis analysis CIA, it's my opinion. It might be correct. There may be other intelligence agencies with another interpretation. The president needs this analysis, but he's not bound to follow it. And if he doesn't follow something that the CIA says, he thinks it's wrong. He's not politicizing intelligence. He hasn't done something wrong. He's being president. But we now have a narrative that if presidents don't believe our intelligence community, if it doesn't follow their recommendations and analysis, uh, you know, they're, they're doing something wrong or illegal or immoral. I mean, this is how the deep state thinks it runs this country, not our elected officials.
2: So do you trust the CIA and do you trust the FBI?
13: Well, look, having said that, I do think most officials and analysts at the CIA are ethical and non-political and hard, hardworking. I believe that there are people at the higher levels, mostly named by Democratic administrations, who have really... uh, 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 distorted the mission and priorities of these agencies. And there has to be a major house cleaning of, of the CIA, other intelligence agencies, a huge, huge house cleaning at the FBI. And we had to bring in people not to politicize these agencies, but to change the culture, to let them know they have to keep politics out of their work and they have to basically tell the truth and not let political agendas color what, what they say.
0: It's just becoming increasingly difficult to believe that's possible when it requires so few, at least at the decision making level, to do so much damage. I mean, we're seeing this play out with respect to national security oriented agencies um, and uh, some of and and also sort of third parties that are funded by the government that are international facing uh, that are engaged in censorship um, the Twitter files doc, documented this, and now this this thing is in my craw, this uh, Cyber Threat Intelligence League that uh, Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi are reporting about in real time.
13: And the sad thing is that the, the, the Trump administration could have fixed this, and it didn't, because it, it didn't name the best people to some of these positions. They weren't strong enough. Or they came in with almost no staff. If we name a, a new officials to take control of these intelligence agencies. They have to come in in with a fairly large team and they have to let go. A lot of career people will reassign them. And uh, what the Trump administration did is they they would name one or two people to top, not realizing that's not nearly enough to get control of these agencies. And again, I don't want to politicize them. I just want to get them to change their culture. So they do what they're supposed to be doing to -hmm. keep politics out of their work. And I think, a new Trump administration will be much better prepared to take control of the federal bureaucracy. That's why you're seeing all these articles right now on The Washington Post and New York Times that Trump will be a dictator. No, Trump won't be a dictator, but he will make sure the federal bureaucracy advances presidential policies and not its
0: own. Uh, talking about Ukraine, uh, since you were a former COS at uh, NSC, love the acronyms, uh, John Kirby, the spokesman for the National Security Council, had this to say – yesterday about uh, the GOP's recalcitrance and supporting more funding for uh, the Ukrainian war effort.
14: And so we can't support Ukraine. Their chief advisor yesterday said they're likely to lose this war if they lose U.S. support. And Putin gets all of Ukraine, then what? Then where does he go? Because right then he's up against the eastern flank of NATO. And if you think the cost of supporting Ukraine is high now, just imagine how much higher it's going to be, not just in national treasure. But in American blood, if he starts going after one of our NATO allies, because as the president also said, we take our Article five commitments very seriously.
0: So that's uh, the, the latest, the Putin domino theory, uh, resuscitating the Putin domino theory. And then Biden's pronouncement that uh, if Putin were to attack a NATO ally, then American troops are going to be on the ground. And this is supposed to frighten Republicans into supporting more funding for Ukraine.
13: Yeah, Nikki Kelly's saying that Biden saying that Brian Kilmeade said that on Fox this morning uh, uh, Chris Christie said that it's false Putin has no intention of attacking a NATO country it's false it's scaremongering the problem here is that that Biden will not put forward a plan on how to end this war what's the end game how do we get to a ceasefire Biden just wants to provide weapons forever we provided a lot a lot of weapons last year the counteroffensive states by the Ukrainians went nowhere. And Congress has been very clear with Biden. We're not providing money to Ukraine until you defend the southern border of the United States. Before we defend Ukrainian borders, let's defend let's defend our country. Biden just won't do it.
0: Fred Flight's vice chair of the American First Policy Institute Center for American Security, former CIA analyst. Fred, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Good to be here.
2: Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
0: This is Chicago's
1: Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between
9: 5 and
11: 9
1: in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer.
0: There are many uh, Trump impersonators out there, but uh, one of the best is Sean Farish. And he has a, a new parody song for the season. Sung like Trump, of course.
1: Well, the weather outside is scary And we know that his legs are hairy We
11: know it because he told us so Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe Can't understand him when he's speaking He even said he was border aching (laughs) Fell off a bike when it was going slow Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe On the border, he has no clue And it's making us all go insane. When he's got nothing left to do. He just sends some more cash to Ukraine. Now the country is slowly dying. And Corrine Jean-Pierre keeps on lying. This This president is our greatest foe. Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe.
0: Oh, it's in time for the holidays. (laughs) Chicago's morning answer. Your
5: show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between five and nine in the morning than you guys.
1: On AM560, the answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, the answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, somehow, somebody in the D.C. press corps was able to get a question related to Biden, Inc. through the din and, to Mr. Actually, got- and, and to Mr. 10 percent, the big guy, President Biden. Uh, this was that interchange.
14: President Biden on Ukraine and also China, uh, there is polling by the Associated Press that shows that almost 70 percent of Americans, including 40 percent of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or unethically in regards to your family's business interests. Can you explain to the Americans uh, to Americans commit this impeachment inquiry why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment on that I did not, and it's just a bunch of
5: lies. You didn't interact with lies. many I, of their lies. business associates? I did not. There's what, lies. They're the What's the America?
2: America. America. And then he walked away all pissy
0: well, I suppose the uh, the reaction is, well, what is? what else can he say after denying it for all these times? And plus, even if he wanted to explain it, can you explain it was the question asked by the reporter. Even if he wanted to explain it, he couldn't. He doesn't have the capacity to explain it. Uh, Speaker Mike Johnson tweeted out in response, the president just lied again to the American people. Well, that's just what he does. Fact, there are at least 22 examples of Joe Biden speaking with or meeting with Hunter Biden's foreign business associates. Oh, you mean those 22 times? Oh, I see. Uh, this is why House Speaker Mike Johnson is scheduling the vote for a formal impeachment inquiry for next week.
2: Good. What do you guys think of that? 312-642-5600, Line. You could also hit us on that text line. Six four six three six. Type in DA. Then a quick comment.
0: And uh, there's a uh, good reason. I mean, the House Oversight Committee keeps digging, and they keep coming up with more information. Um, but there, are, but the new information then just uh, prompts more questions and the need for uh, the need to keep digging to get to try to get answers. For example, uh, this week, uh, House uh, Ways and Means Committee released a uh, testimony from uh, Joseph Ziegler. He's one of the IRS whistleblowers. Mm-hmm. He Remember, he's the one who's, I'm a gay Democrat.
2: Right. Oh, that's right. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's him. Um, he told the committee, he got the impression that the Biden campaign was behind Kevin Morris's assistance to Hunter Biden, raising concerns of campaign finance violations. So uh, because Morris, just a couple of months, Kevin Morris is this Hollywood lawyer, just a couple of months after meeting Hunter Biden at a fundraiser, he gave Hunter Biden four and a half million dollars. For what? Because he, he needed that the sucks. money.
2: Yeah, he needed the money.
0: Oh. And he. Oh, needed that's right. The mo- he had a
2: little bit of an expensive drug and porn
0: problem. Well, he needed the money, and Joe Biden. And this is in the the height of Joe Biden seeking the Democrat nomination for president in January of twenty twenty. where well, That's when they believe the meeting happened. Um, and so. Hunter needed the money and Joe Biden's campaign needed Hunter to not be an albatross so enter Kevin Morris and his four and a half million dollars which creates the potential campaign violation that was referenced uh the uh, an attorney who spoke with uh John Solomon over at just the news as the whistleblowers have shared some information previously regarding uh, Kevin more uh, some have shared some information previously kevin morris is someone who is donating or quote loaning money to hunter within just a couple months of having met him uh this according to a new york times report actually that was december of 2020 uh ziegler's evidence chronicled a two and a half hour crisis meeting at kevin morris's home in la and an email from morris warning of the personal and political risk that hunter biden's unresolved tax issues posed And then candidate Joe Biden's campaign for the nomination was in full swing. Hunter Biden and his team of lawyers and accountants called a crisis meeting at the home of Kevin Morris in the Pacific Palisades. The date of the meeting is not stated in the documents, but it likely took place between January 18th and January 27th of 2020. uh, According to the chronology of the IRS interview memo, the meeting was ostensibly to discuss Hunter Biden's mounting tax issues. But Hunter Biden's own accountant, Troy Schmidt, told the IRS, DOJ, and FBI investigators that the group ended up not discussing the tax returns at all.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Right. This was um, a Hollywood lawyer, dem, financier, operating as a fixer, one might surmise. One might think that. I couldn't possibly say. Uh, Jonathan Turley can, though. And here's what uh, Turley, Professor law professor at George Washington University, of course. You see him on Fox all the time. This is what Turley said about the forthcoming vote on the formal impeachment inquiry. And now we see joint accounts where money is moving to Joe Biden. We even have Joe
5: Biden's house being listed for some of these payments by Hunter Biden. It's it's rather daunting to imagine what you need uh, according to the Democrats. So I think the moment of truth has arrived. Democrats have either got to show that they stand against corruption and approve an inquiry or they have to take ownership of this because influence peddling is the favorite form of corruption in Washington. But none none of us have seen the likes of this
0: mm-hmm. so that's where we're at and um, if you think that uh, there is uh, again this movement afoot to dump Joe Biden and we need to tread lightly uh, with uh, moving on impeaching Joe Biden even recognizing it won't go anywhere in the Senate just as Democrats knew that the two Trump impeachments wouldn't go anywhere in the Senate, but they pursued it anyway. You're concerned about that politically. Well, because you want Trump or DeSantis to run against Joe Biden. (laughs) Paul Sperry, an investigative journalist over at uh, Real Clear Investigations, uh, tweeted this out. He was watching CNN, so none of us had to. CNN host Van Jones just now remark that Biden is so revered by Democrats for his accomplishments that they'd like to enshrine him on Mount Rushmore after one term. Quoting Van Jones, if Joe Biden were to quit right now, he'd be on Mount Rushmore. I don't know if that's trying to get him to quit or trying to get him yeah. to continue exactly. But regardless, this is the sort of uh, these are the sorts of statements you're getting from the you know, sort of Democrat mouthpieces and institutional interests like. Flax on CNN. So, you know, as uh, Joe Biden said, uh, you know, I'm sure there are 50 Democrats that could beat Trump, but I'm the one who's going to do it. I got to do it. Yeah, he's got to do it. And it's not for his party. I'm saying for months, every incentive the Biden family has, more information comes out. Uh, The no separation between the accounts, Chinese Communist money flowing into Hunter Biden's account, going to Joe Biden's account, as we talked about earlier in the week, as you heard Jonathan Turley just reference the details coming from IRS whistleblowers about these meetings that were suspicious to them as IRS caseworkers, the uh, lack of alacrity when it came to the FBI and the DOJ in pursuing the Hunter Biden investigation. As is also coming from IRS caseworkers, including a self-identified gay Democrat, the emails. uh, New emails that were identified by House Ways and Means, um, 327 emails Biden sent. This is the big guy or received from 2010 to 2019 under his various pseudonyms. Um, And, you know, there's this push. Uh, National Archives and Records has 82,000 pages of emails and documents sent or received under Biden's email aliases, and they still don't have the contents of these emails. But there is some things that are interesting that require more inquiry, that require an impeachment inquiry to provide as much investigative power as is legally available. 327 emails listed in the log are exchanges between Biden and Hunter or Eric Schwerin, former Hunter business partner. 54 exchanges between Joe Biden and Eric Schwerin, Hunter Biden business partner. But he had no interest or knowledge of or uh, involvement in Hunter's businesses. You just heard him say those are all lies. Uh Five of the emails were exchanged within five days of Biden's 2014, June 2014 trip to Ukraine. So he's sitting vice president. Another 27 were exchanged prior to his return trip to Ukraine in November of 2014. Those trips coincided with Hunter's position at Burisma. And they preceded Biden's 2015 role in forcing the ouster of the Ukrainian prosecutor investigating Burisma and its CEO. Another 38 emails originated from within the White House and were sent to Joe Biden's aliases with Hunter Biden copied. But again, there's nothing to see here. There's no evidence because we don't have the contents of those emails. The investigators don't have the contents of those emails. So just ignore this. Um, They're going to try and run out the clock. And we'll see how good House Republicans are at continuing to dig and unearth information that brings this entire picture into clearer focus. But there's no question that moving forward with the formal impeachment inquiry is the right and proper thing to do. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. You know how uh, people are fleeing Illinois for... Uh,
2: Florida. (laughs) Florida.
0: Florida, Texas, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, Shh. Wisconsin, Indiana, Iowa, Iowa Arkansas, Missouri, lots of Kentucky, Utah, Tennessee. Yeah. You know how that's happening?
2: South Carolina. Yeah.
0: Don't forget South Dakota. Oh. Uh, yeah. I,
2: met a, I mean, you know what? Have you ever been to the Badlands?
0: I have not. Oh, I saw the movie, but I haven't I haven't been there yet.
2: And Mount Rushmore, you, you definitely need to go there. And I met a wonderful couple from Chicago. They were both police officers. They retired out there. Okay. They live in large. Well, no, so, I'm just saying it's great because they're taxes, there's I mean, no state income tax.
0: So uh, Remy from Reason Magazine, mm-hmm. uh, who does these great parody videos, he's like the, the libertarian Al Yankovic because he does videos in addition to the parody songs. Well, he's got an original. Hmm. Uh, Original music and lyrics from one of our favorites, Remy.
3: Shopping for detergent, but it's all locked up. The tax man and the guy in the alley want to take my stuff. Can I keep half? What? And that's why Sold mile it's times like he's places they can go to like South
0: or He's a talented guy I like that Remy this is Chicago's morning answer
11: your show keeps me alive during the week there's nobody I'd rather listen to between five and nine in
1: the morning than you guys On AM 560 the answer.